Hey, I'm Nick, creator of Canna Cribs and Growers Network, where we have educated millions of people on how to elevate their craft. I have toured some of the largest grow operations, befriended the best growers, and built a network of the top cannabis companies. Join me on this next adventure where I document history with the pioneers shaping the global cannabis industry in real time. Welcome to the Cannacribs Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Cannacribs Podcast. This is your host, Nick Morin, and today's guest is Courtney Maltese, the lead botanist and co-founder of The Clear Cannabis Company. In this interview, Courtney teaches us the science behind developing cannabis concentrates at scale, some challenges of operating in multiple states, and her opinion on the future of the cannabis industry in the midst of a global pandemic. And stay tuned for a special never-before-heard story of how she tried to develop a chicken and waffles vape pen with rapper Action Bronson. Enjoy! This episode of the Candy Cribs podcast is powered by Across International, the same company that powers Courtney at The Clear and many other industry-leading processors to scale their business while staying compliant and being able to rely on the same expert support for their certified equipment. Check them out on Instagram at Across, I-N-T-L, short for international, and acrossinternational.com. Now on with the show. Welcome to our very first episode of the Canacribs podcast. I'm here today with Courtney Maltese, the lead botanist and founder of The Clear. How's it going, Courtney? Pretty good, Nick. How are you doing? Pretty good. Very excited to kick off our very first interview here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Courtney. Yeah, so my background is in biology and English literature. I dual majored in college uh, with the hopes to become a science writer working in uh, science journalism, uh, specifically around agricultural science because it's not a topic that young people are really talking about these days at the level it needs to be uh, explored. But then things kind of switched gears when uh, I got called by one of my friends, Chris Barone, who is the chemist and founder of Clear as well, uh, he wanted to kind of switch things up and not go down the typical STEM career path, uh, rather to start a cannabis startup together in California. And when you were a kid, did you think you were ever going to get into the cannabis industry? Is that, you know, anything that, you know, in the future you were looking to, to get into? You know, I, I'd always been an advocate for normal and a lot of the initiative groups um, that were gathering around my childhood, but ultimately I had no clue that this would be the path I would go down. I thought I'd be working in food science, um, maybe formulating food products and natural products, but never with this plant, which is a huge blessing because I, I have absolutely loved uh, the cannabis plant my whole life for how much impact it's had on our culture and history and medicine. Yeah. And you have a very interesting combination of both uh, literature and science. So how has that combination impacted uh, your role today? It's actually been really amazing to have a background in literature that it kind of gives me a different way to speak to the audience so that I can kind of address these higher level science topics with both the public as well as business owners in cannabis to kind of connect this bridge between the scientific community and the cannabis industry. I love that. I mean, being able to bridge that is extremely important. 
And you don't stop there. So outside of your work, you're also on a committee for the National Cannabis Industry Association. Uh, could you share with us a little bit more about what your committee works on? Um, so on the Scientific Advisory Committee, uh, we're a small group of medical professionals, uh, chemists, biologists, uh, analytical chemists that all work together uh, to kind of think tank on these larger issues that we see from a scientific perspective um, and then really engage with the B2B side of the community uh, so that we can give uh, different business owners the resources they need to understand the science behind cannabis. I've been filming commercial cannabis grow operations for Cannacribs for probably about three and a half years now. And the majority of the growers are male. Um, and it seems like from that point of view, it's a very male dominated industry. And you are leading the charge for women all around the world getting into this industry. So do you see that trend changing where more and more women are finding leadership positions in our industry? You know, something I actually have always found really interesting about the cannabis space is uh, around like last year, statistically, uh, we actually have the largest amount of women executives operating in cannabis, wow. around 36% uh, compared to the national average, which is around 21%. Um, I did not know that. That is very interesting. Yeah, it, it's really exciting to see that. I mean, something that it was growing exponentially over the past couple of years and then kind of tapered off. Uh, last year around that 36%. But I think that we're now seeing this is an opportunity to really push harder on that uh, margin. And it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of initiatives that connect business leaders with women that are working in this industry to really kind of continue increasing that number. Yeah. And, and since you're you know, founding of the Clear and uh, all the companies that you've been working with. Have you, in particular, Courtney, faced any challenges being a female in a leadership position? You know, in any STEM career, even outside of cannabis, it's there's so many different challenges with establishing leadership roles for women, uh, which is interesting considering that 50, 56% of university graduates in STEM are female. Um, so it's kind of curious to think about uh, where is the stigma within this uh, for hiring women in uh, technical careers. But I think something that I'm really passionate about is aside from these issues with women getting roles within the cannabis space and in leadership is specifically for minorities and people of color yeah. who have a much smaller representation in this space and need a lot more access to be able to really establish themselves, especially considering the implications of the war on drugs and everything that's happened since then. Yeah, and are you personally involved in any collective efforts to help increase that diversity across the, the entire industry? Yeah, so the CLEAR as an organization is always working on different initiatives for that. Um, me personally, in my background with our founders, uh, we've worked many years with the Southern California Coalition, as well as the California Minority Alliance, who work with uh, regulators and lawmakers to essentially create uh, equitable situations for minorities in the space. Um, we actually, uh, a couple years back, helped them rally to get Measure M uh, looked over in Los Angeles, which was actually approved 
And Measure M essentially made it so that there's a very specific percentage of cannabis licenses that must be allocated to people of color within Los Angeles. Do you think that's something that we could bring to other states? Because I I know uh, the Clear is a multi-state operator. um, So these other states that you guys are operating in, um, do you think that's an initiative that we could take maybe through the NCIA and other legislative efforts uh, to bring more diversity and inclusion? Oh, certainly. And NCAA is starting to work much harder on social equity programs. Um, So I think there's a lot of opportunity there, especially since lawmakers are really looking for industry leaders to kind of guide them along. What is this process? Because everything is still so new. So we've had a lot of success, more so on the uh, public health and safety side, but helping kind of guide uh, politicians in order to understand the safety and health implications of cannabis. Do you see that LA is leading that charge? Are there other cities around uh, the United States that are perhaps doing it better? I mean, it's hard for me to say as I'm not an expert in that area, but I will say that I I acknowledge uh, Washington for a lot of the work that they've been doing um, for giving back to their communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and San Francisco and Northern California have been really amazing at uh, creating initiatives to empower those that are disadvantaged as well as um, actually there's this organization, Canaclusive, Um, which basically creates a space for networking as well as raising awareness of minority-owned and specifically uh, women minority-owned cannabis businesses, everything from marketing all the way to production and manufacturing and cultivation. So I think that there's quite a big uprising coming for us with that. That's great. I mean, we need to celebrate that and try to expand them across the country and some of these other state programs. So Courtney, in your opinion, what is the future of women in cannabis? You know, it's really exciting. Um, So as of right now, I believe um, Forbes published a statistic highlighting that there are 53% of cannabis consumers are women, um, which really opens up the space that Uh, there's going to be a unique relationship between women business owners in cannabis and the consumer because we're able to really identify um, these applications that may not necessarily be always suitable for um, each gender, but Mm -hmm. um, rather than creating products and content that focus on gender stereotypes, I think we're starting to see Um, this more inclusive androgynous space showing up in the market. I love that. Yeah. Well, also, I think on the more on the scientific side of things, um, it's really exciting to see in research there being a shift to focus on both uh, female and male bodies, um, given that, for for instance, uh, commonly in scientific studies, uh, we typically look at Uh, rodent studies in only male mice because there's so many hormonal uh, variants that come when you're Mm -hmm. studying a female mouse, uh, which make kind of isolating these different variables uh, much more difficult in the past. Um, However, in cannabis, we've noticed that there are some key differences in how females and males metabolize cannabinoids. Um, So we're starting to see more and more mouse studies where they're actually bringing in uh, female test subjects in order to really understand what's going on there. So I think cannabis has a lot of potential to be a movement in both 
uh, political and science implications. That's incredible. And are you guys at the clear doing that type of research yourselves? Or is this, are you referring to maybe a, a collegiate research study? Yeah, so I was referring to a, a university study, um, okay. but we do actually work with both uh, privatized research groups as well as universities um, all around to support them in what they need in order to, to further research on cannabis. So in my research for this interview, I actually came across a blog article of yours about semi-synthetic cannabinoids. Could you teach me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so that was a really fun piece I put together with Dr. Mark Skeldone and Chris Barone, one of the other CLEAR founders. Um, the two of them had been working a lot on the actual synthesis within the lab space, but then uh, Dr. Skeldone actually holds two patents on the process and implications of the semi-synthetic cannabinoids within a wow. study on mice for tumor suppression. Okay. and. So essentially, a, a semi-synthetic is a natural compound that has been slightly tweaked within the lab space, um, kind of in simple terms for when we're talking specifically mm -hmm. about hydrogenated uh, cannabinoids. You're essentially adding hydrogen across the double bonds and thus changing the molecular weight, potentially molecular geometry, and also the effects it could have on the body. Uh, so could you break it down for me, Courtney, what a cannabinoid is, what a semi-synthetic cannabinoid is, and then what a full-on synthetic cannabinoid is? Sure. Um, so essentially, a, a natural or organic cannabinoid is something that we find naturally occurring within the cannabis plant, uh, produced through the different resin within the actual trichomes of the plant. Um, if you're not too familiar with that, which I'm sure many of your followers are, it's the mm -hmm. frosty layers that cover the bud that we love with all the flavor and goodness. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to a, a semi-synthetic cannabinoid, we're taking those natural compounds and then slightly tweaking them um, by adding on different, different compounds within that compound in order to create a different geometry, a different structure of that cannabinoid, it still is a cannabinoid, uh, just slightly modified um, versus synthetic cannabinoids are derived within the lab space um, and synthesized in order to create unique compounds that wouldn't be found in nature. Okay, and what is the overall impact of this semi-synthetic cannabinoid that uh, your team is, is researching and integrating into your product lines? Well, so we're actually not not quite there just yet. Um, it's something that we've been working with more on the back end in research and development just to really deeply understand uh, the medical implications of what a semi-synthetic cannabinoid could provide uh, to a consumer. Um, and we still are many years out in research before we can really identify um, those medical implications for sure. But there's some speculation um, that this could enhance how the cannabinoid becomes bioavailable, meaning that it's more efficient in uptake, so you can take smaller doses. Um, it may not necessarily pop on a drug test, which might be beneficial to wow. uh, some consumers that are looking for medic medicinal application but might have discrimination in the workplace. Um, that is major. You are saying that this this research could lead to products, cannabis products, 
that we can consume, but they won't show up in our tests and our, our drug tests. Correct. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's still a lot to be, to be understood about it, but um, it's really exciting seeing the, the different applications of chemistry within cannabis that can really modify how effective it actually is. And I mean, probably the biggest uh, thing that we've been looking at with specifically hydrogenated CBD or THC uh, is its potential in tumor suppression uh, and specifically with like cancerous growth. So, Wow. And are you actively uh, doing research right now um, on those subjects? So there are uh, groups doing research right now. I personally am not a part of that as we're so busy over at the clear uh, working with regulation and education within the cannabis space. So, um, but there's definitely more to be talked about in the future and I'm happy to always share more with you guys when that comes up. So in the future, will the clear have, uh, you know, uh, granted the regulations are in place, um, will the clear have the ability or interest in researching that within your organization? You know, it's something that we've definitely talked about. I think that we're still a few years out on the research as far as uh, health and safety goes with using these compounds. We certainly don't take that lightly as we're uh, our company. The backbone of what we do is the integrity of the safety of our products and the purity. So until we we really can understand um, the risks and benefits of a synthetic cannabinoid, it's probably not something you'll see on the market just yet. Great. Well, thank you for the deep dive into the, the science behind uh, everything that you guys are working on and, and interested in. So Courtney, you're involved with product development at The Clear. What does it take to develop a successful product for you? Uh, So the first thing I like to consider is how will we make the cannabinoids or the novel compounds uh, infused into the product? Uh, This can get more complicated with different kinds of emulsion processes, or maybe it's a more natural-based product, Um, for instance, something like a water-soluble or something that needs a specific kind of carrier oil for a topical application. Um, So just figuring out the best way to get the cannabinoid uh, to the consumer. Then we kind of break down our dosing um, because there's so many different applications and uh, we metabolize cannabinoids differently depending on if we eat them. Uh, It might convert into a more strong cannabinoid compound um, versus when we vaporize or smoke them. Uh, It'll kind of show up a little bit differently. Um, So really understanding when the consumer has this product, um, how could they dose it properly uh, within kind of the compliant regulations in order for it to be effective and comfortable for the consumer. Um, Then kind of moving deeper into it, uh, specifically with the clear process, uh, we like to consider, is this a novel formula? Um, a huge part of our process is that we don't outsource any of our production or development. Wow. Uh, everything is infused in-house from our flavors to the base formulas of our topicals. And you're in a multi-state, you're, you are in multi-state operation. So is that true in each state that you operate in? So what we kind of do with that is that a lot of these unique uh, formulas will produce at our main headquarters and then we'll give those formulas to our licensees within each state so that they have exactly what they need to do it. They don't have to worry or fuss over 
the technicalities of actually putting that together. Rather, they can focus on perfecting the distillation of the product and following the clear methods and infusing that uh, within their own facilities. Is that kind of like a franchising model? Yeah, it's very, very similar. And we, we like to take it really seriously with uh, giving our partners all of the resources they need. I mean, the term clear fam was coined a long time ago when it was just the small group of us. And we still take that very seriously to this day, uh, making sure that we'll even go in and physically walk around and meet everybody in the labs wow. of the different states to make sure Extremely they have everything hands they on. need. And you offer equipment leasing, consulting on top of that. Is that kind of add-ons to being able to license your formula in uh, a different state? Yeah, we have. A, a, there's so many layers to our business model and how we work with our licensees. Um, but you can definitely find out more information on that through our website. Okay, that's great. So your role in particular, Courtney, are you just flying all over the place, kind of dialing in the formulas at each one of these different franchisees or uh, licensees? I like to stick around our main headquarters in Colorado for the most part, whenever we're diving into deep formulation and product development. But then kind of after we have secured a specific product line, uh, we'll then go physically to our partners within the other states um, and I'll do little tours of their labs where we'll kind of walk through their process and contrast and compare the, the things that we see that they could maybe refine or different things that they do that are amazing that we want to implement into other states that they'll give us the green light on. So it's a very collaborative space within the Clear Network. So I'd love to know more about your flavor lab. It sounds pretty amazing. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, so our flavor lab is a very small network, um, but we work with flavor chemists all across the U.S. to basically refine all of these botanically derived flavors. Um, so pretty much the flavors that you see in each state are going to be made within that lab space. Um, and because of uh, federal regulation, uh, we're unable to ship around any cannabis derived compounds. Uh, at least at this time. So what we do right now is we take all natural steam distilled compounds from other plant sources and then infuse them and essentially mimic uh, different varieties within uh, the cannabis plant and then put that into our products in each state. Wow. So you can do that at your HQ and then ship that product across state lines because it doesn't have any uh, cannabis uh, residuals in it? Correct. Wow. Yeah. And you know, there's actually a really exciting thing going on in Nevada. Um, we just recently launched our newest product line, which is the Clear Reserve line. And what we did with them was we took actual cannabis derived compounds uh, within specific strains and then infused those into the clear lobster butter or raw distillate that we have. Um, so it is our official first fully cannabis-derived clear cart that we have out there in the reserve line. History in the making right there. Mm -hmm. That's pretty special. So do you work in tandem with your cultivation team at the clear to figure out the best flavors? Like how, how do you decide which flavors you want to use? So 
back early, early on in the clear, um, we had a very small research facility out of Long Beach and I was essentially leading our entire cultivation project side by side with the flavor team. And what we were doing was we would kind of test and look at the cannabis strains throughout their life cycle to see what terpenes and what flavor compounds were present within the plant and then use that compiled data in order to mimic what the fresh variety as well as the smoked variety tastes like. Um, and then that's where we got our lemon haze, our golden goat, uh, some of our OG varieties, all of those were basically uh, mirrored off of strains that I grew. Coming up next, you're going to hear about the one-time Action Bronson. Worked with Courtney's team to create a revolutionary new vape flavor for one of their Washington processing partners. Unfortunately, that flavor never made it to the market, and you're about to find out why. Along with my question of, well, if Doritos can make chicken and waffles, why can't we? If that flavor made it to the market, it definitely would have gone through a piece of equipment from Across International. They are obviously a sponsor of this episode. You probably know that by now. Across International is actually a one-stop shop for everything you need for your cannabis processing facility. Their experts can teach you award-winning solutions for processes like winterization, filtration, decarboxylization, falling film, and wiped film evaporation, along with so much more for making your favorite vape pens, gummies, tinctures, live resin, CBD isolate, water-soluble solutions, the list goes on. I, I literally cannot read all of them. I'm running out of time here. Check them out on Instagram. It's at acrossintl and acrossinternational.com. Go show them some love. Back to the episode. Have there been any missteps along the way that you can share with me? Any you know, insight that you've gleaned along the way of, you know, just maybe failing out of flavor and, and learning something that you took into the, the future research. Yeah, I actually have a pretty funny story about that. Um, so back in the day, we were working with our, our licensee up in Washington, and they had become pretty good friends with Action Bronson, if you're familiar. Love Action Bronson, yeah. Yeah, so he he became a huge fan of the lobster butter, just the raw distillate oil that we had. In fact, I think believe he and some of his friends were the ones that coined that name uh, for the raw distillate. But he he got so inspired by it, and especially with his like culinary focus mm -hmm. he he requested if we would be able to make a custom flavor for him which was chicken and waffles no way oh my gosh yeah it never made it to market because of what i'm going to tell you um but you know we couldn't say no at the time it was complicated because we told we told him and we told the team look like we only work with botanically derived compounds once you start working with uh flavors that are cooked and like meat based, uh, you start running into some interesting synthetic compounds that we don't really have enough information about vaporizing yet to warrant whether or not it's uh, safe. Um, and in the end, we, we bought some of the flavors because uh, they were really insistent that we at least make something to show them uh, kind of behind the scenes. And so we said, okay, okay, we order some of these compounds to the lab just to get some samples to kind of see what's going on. And they, they arrive one day and 
we open the box and before we've even opened the vial of this particular compound that has the uh, cooked chicken aroma, um, which is very similar to the compounds that you might see in a dog treat. <laughs> okay. Um, but we, we open this box and the jar's not even open and the entire lab starts to smell like teriyaki. We cannot get this smell <laughs> out of the facility. We have fans and filters and all this stuff going to get that out. And instantly we close that box back up and said, I'm sorry that this is just a, a gut feeling, but wow. as much as we wish we could do it, uh, we couldn't, but you know, at least we, we gave it a shot, but definitely wish that we didn't have to have a couple days of uh, bacon smelling lab. <laughs> That doesn't sound, you know, entirely terrible, <laughs> but if that research worked, are you saying that today I could be smoking a chicken and waffles vape pen by the clear? It's possible. It's possible. Okay. You're giving me some possibility here. Yeah. But ultimately we're, we're pretty strict as to what we put in our products. So you're not going to be seeing any of these kind of synthetic compounds that have some history of not necessarily being the best for your health so yeah. we we tend to stray away from it but maybe there's a food product down the line there you go well i there was a, a dorito flavor challenge or something like that where they did make a chicken and waffles flavor i'm pretty sure i've had it before what's the difference there what's the difference in your lab trying to hone in on putting that into a, a vaporizable product and the lab at Doritos, you know, Frito-Lay, whoever makes Doritos, what's the main difference there? How, how can they do it and we can? Yeah, so a lot of the compounds are really similar. I think the major difference here is when you digest a product, your body interacts with it much differently. Your stomach has a lot more tools necessary to break down something like a chicken and waffle artificial flavoring versus uh -huh. your lung tissue is such a sensitive space mm. um, that there's a lot to consider with how you metabolize that through your lungs and into your body um, that could potentially cause health risks later on. So it's really important. I mean, even things as simple as uh, vaporizing lavender oils and, and these essential oil extracts um, there is a lot of risk involved with uh, consuming these chemicals in that yeah. way. So we take it really seriously when uh, we produce products so that we only use compounds that we can verify through research that are uh, safe for consumption. That's, that's amazing. Thank you for breaking that down for me. And, um, you know, ideally, what should a consumer of, you know, vape pens in the cannabis space or, you know, just a nicotine vaporizer pen, what should they look for? You know, what, what type of consumer safety public service announcement uh, can you share with us today? An educated consumer is going to be the safest consumer for sure. Um, I think at least when I'm going into a dispensary and looking at products, there's kind of three categories I look at. Um, obviously, knowing how to read uh, test results and being able to um, identify what is your cannabinoid percentage, are there any additives that are mm. uh, increasing the total body percentage of that product, and then what is your terpene percentage, what's that total amount? Um, you can see some 
some brands out there are putting upwards of 12 to 13% added flavoring into their product, even if it is a cannabis compound specific. Um, we've never really... Is that good or bad though, Courtney? I mean, I have no basis of understanding whether 12 or 13% is super high, super low. Can you break that down for me? So at least in our products, we tend to go more minimal because we like to make sure that we're never uh, overshooting what the cannabis plant would produce naturally okay. within its body. So um, typically speaking, I would say anything over 10% is somewhat questionable mm. um, unless it is specifically extracted directly from the cannabis plant um, and not infused or enhanced in any way after that point. But even with that, um, there's still a lot of research to be done on uh, terpene consumption when vaporized. Definitely. And what are some red flags that, you know, myself as a cannabis consumer walking into a dispensary, looking at uh, a couple different uh, vape pen options, what are some red flags that I can carry away from this interview uh, to make sure they don't get sick or harm my lungs as, as you were talking about? Probably one of the biggest ones today, I'm sure you're familiar with hearing about uh, vitamin E oil. Can you break that down for me? Yeah. So, I mean, you've heard of the term vape gate, I would yes. assume. Yeah. So vape gate is basically about uh, there were a number of black market products that were released to the public and these products were infused with vitamin E oil mm. um, as an as a carrier basically to make it more uh, shelf stable to have a better appearance and to smoke uh, more easily within the products. Um, however, this had caused a number of health risks, um, even death in some cases. Wow. Um, from consumers unknowingly consuming that product. So, um, of course, like this was a black market product. So going to a dispensary, you're likely going to be safe. But I think it's important for consumers to ask at the counter, uh, what aside from the cannabis oil is in here? Is there MCT oil? Is there uh, any other kinds of additives that are not present in the cannabis plant? I mean, there are a lot of people that choose to consume cannabis through a vape pen. It's concealable, delicious, you know, especially if you're having a clear product. Um, and it's easy, right? You don't have to pack a bowl. Um, it's portable, you know. It, it's just, to me, it is the dream come true for someone like myself that, you know, started smoking cannabis um, out of, you know, flour in a, a pipe or a bong. Um, this is like what we have all dreamed about. So it, it's amazing. The research that you guys are doing um, is is next level. And, you know, you guys are operating in multiple states, uh, which is extremely impressive uh, in itself right there. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about some of the states that you guys are operating in. Um, and how do you maintain that product consistency from lab to lab to lab? Um, could you dive into that a little bit more? Sure. So we have incredibly strict SOPs or standard operating procedures at the clear that we will uh, offer and then go in and train and implement within each licensee. Um, for instance, one of our most recent partners is Flower One in Las oh, Vegas. I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're an incredible team. Honestly, like they're 
they are what I was hoping the industry was going to become when we first started out. It's it's really been a dream working with them and uh, they've been really open to having us come into their space and audit their systems and really have like these incredible conversations around efficacy and uh, the future processes that we could work on together. Um, so it's just, although we are very strict about our process and the clear standard and what they should do, everything from um, producing the extract to infusing the, the goods that go into the carts, um, we're also really interested in exploring the collaboration on the end of bringing their processes into ours and then implementing those into other states okay. um, so that we can kind of better refine these systems because for so long it's been such a closed off kind of space with IP and although we're very strict about um, our signature flavors and um, some of these more technical parts of our development of products uh, we're kind of an open book when, when it comes to our partners as far as really uh, reshaping how we look at producing cannabis products and find new ways to kind of trailblaze and innovate based on the trends in the market. So we're actually talking with Flower One to do a Canicribs episode at their facility in, in Vegas. So when we're out there and we film their laboratory, would that be them creating the clear process? Well, they not necessarily creating, but continuing the process, okay. yes. So they're following your SOPs, they're following your formula guidelines to create the clear, and it's going to be sold at a Flower One dispensary and potentially others. Is that how that model Correct. works? Okay. Yeah, and you know, like each state has different regulations. That's always the trick of, of everything when working in multiple states. So sometimes our SOPs are a little bit more generalized as, as mm. far as like a based on each state, what we kind of compile, but from state to state, it could vary uh, depending on the, the technicality within their area. Well, let's unpack that a little bit, Courtney. What, in your opinion, is the most difficult state to operate in? And what are some of those challenges? Maybe all of them, I don't know. <laughs> what are some of the challenges that you face uh, running a multi-state operation? You know, each state has its quirk. I couldn't really uh, put anyone in the, the hot seat at this okay. point because they're so different. Yeah. Um, but I can kind of give you an example. Uh, so we've been working in Nevada, obviously, like I've told you, mm -hmm. and Arizona, um, specifically with a focus on how do we help state regulators understand flavoring and terpenes a little bit better so that we don't necessarily exclude all cartridges with infused terpene products. Um, so ever since Vapegate and all of these issues with uh, vitamin E oil and different uh, additives in cartridges, there's been kind of a, a tight refining of what actually can be put in a vape cart, which ends up kind of limiting us, even though we've put in all of the legwork and the research to guarantee that many of our flavors are safe for each of these market spaces. Um, we'll still have to go in and, and work within the state uh, with our licensee partner and lawmakers in order to kind of 
reinvent their thought process and give them the tools they need in order to understand what actually is uh, safe for public health. So you go into these states and before you, you know, set up a, a licensing partnership, you're actually at the state level educating and teaching them about your model and then kind of, you know, rising tide what it means to have uh, your type of research from other states applied to their state? Exactly. Yeah, because I mean, we're all learning as as we go and um, there's really so much work to be done within each state as we kind of refine our systems and figure out where we need to be more strict and where maybe we've been a little too strict in the past. Um, but it's pretty exciting because they they're very open to to understanding where we're coming from and really diving deep into it rather than kind of steering away because we are obviously a a cannabis brand um, and maybe there's controversy there in some people's opinion for us being the ones to uh, explain what is safe and what isn't safe. But at the end of the day, um, when it comes to us internally on our team, it's less about trying to get our product in that state and more so trying to create a standard that is actually safe for everybody to participate in. Yeah, and I'm sure that you operate in both medical and recreational states. Um, Could you share with me some of those differences, some of that uh, varying legislation and packaging requirements in a medical state versus uh, an adult use market? Yeah, so we typically keep a lot of our packaging pretty uniform so that consumers from state to state can see kind of the same product line and and image so that they're familiar with it. Um, So we generally keep pretty strict uh, regulations in-house as far as what we do so that it's more uniform. Um, But we do have to have various different uh, printing and compliance labels uh, from state to state that we'll have our, our partners within that state kind of consult on and, and then we'll be shipping that out to them directly. Right on. And do your product lines vary depending on if it's a medical or adult use recreational market? Certainly. I mean, even beyond that, uh, we actually have a lot of states where we have specific flavors that kind of just hit the audience a little more. So, yeah. So like, for instance, grapevine is our our kind of more fruity, pungent, grapey uh, Mm -hmm. nighttime variety. And that one is maybe not necessarily super popular in California, but has been hitting the market like crazy in Nevada and uh, Arizona and Washington and elsewhere. So it really just goes to show that like, it's, it's funny, like XJ13 was kind of not really liked as much in some of our, our states. And now it's one of the favorites in Las Vegas. So, and what's that flavor like with the XJ13? The XJ13, I mean, it's really similar to the cultivar variety in the flower, um, but it's going to be a daytime effect is what we say um, it is. But it typically has like a lot of those more pungent jack kind of dill hoppy terps to it. Okay, nice. So do you work hand in hand with one of your uh, partners in these states to understand what that demographic likes when it comes to flavors and product lines? Or do you go in with your own market research? It's a little bit of both. It's kind of that that perfect pairing where we we look at the sales analytics as to kind of what 
currently are they selling from from that licensee what is kind of the heavy hitters in the area we we like to rely on our partner within the state to kind of have their discretion on that just because we we trust them to be uh, the leader in the space after vetting them and, and joining the team. Um, but we definitely consider our own market research um, that we do within our own sales team. Yeah, that's great. And there's a lot of brands out there that maybe someone like a Flower One could partner with. Why are they choosing the clear? You know, what about your brand is so successful? What makes you successful and, uh, you know, motivates these companies to reach out and partner with you? So I think that there's kind of three areas as to why we're usually on a manufacturing company's radar uh, to partner with. Uh, First and foremost is our transparency. Um, We've always been a brand that uh, takes so much importance towards uh, making sure that people know exactly what's in our products. People know that every single step that goes into making our products um, is essentially out in the open to show people that we care more about the science and safety than necessarily the like flash and excitement around a novel flavor or a cool color that you might see within a product. Um, So from the beginning of Clear, I mean, the reason we even started this company in the first place was because Chris Barone had mentioned how fascinated he was with cannabis and how deeply he loved it to this point that we all had this wild fascination with wanting to just break it down to the tiniest pieces and then understand what made it so powerful and so incredible and and important to us. So each one of our products, each one of our processes, each one of our brand partners uh, really has a similar passion to ours in that regard. Um, So with that, the team dynamic, I think, is something that speaks to many of the manufacturers out there that we do partner with because uh, we're so collaborative and we're so curious. And then Ultimately, uh, there's this mentality within our group of fearlessness and pushing boundaries to innovate the cannabis space. So I think it excites a lot of manufacturers to have the opportunity to kind of uh, push those boundaries with us and say, well, hey, how can we do something that no one else is doing yet? And maybe people are saying it isn't possible. Well, let's make it possible. So Courtney, what's the one thing that you know now that you wish you knew when you started the clear? Well, ultimately, I wish I could have gone back and told myself as well as our founding team to trust the process. Mm. In in an ever-changing market with limitless opportunities, we are stuck in a space full of limitations. And sometimes it can get a little bit isolating in that regard where you're not quite sure to trust your gut on certain instincts or not. Um, And as a scientist entering into a counterculture market back in 2013, it was kind of easy to feel like a black sheep where we were somewhat recognized and supported both by suits and old heads alike, um, but didn't actually fit into any particular box within the cannabis space. But in the end, I think it's important to mostly remain open-minded um, and understanding that. that, yeah, understanding that um, we have blind spots and potentially the system itself has blind spots, but how can we utilize the insight that we all have together to make 
bold moves uh, within those limitations and uplift the community that is here for the people in the plant. What are some of your thoughts that's going to happen within the next 12 months across the entire country and across all the states that you operate in? I mean, things are changing and shifting at light speed right now. So we'll we'll just have to see what, what happens. But ultimately, some positives, I think, that will come in the cannabis space as far as legislation goes this year are the passing of the Safe Banking Act, as well as uh, the amendments to the 280E tax bill for cannabis companies. Um, and to kind of give you like a little more insight on those, um, so last year I had worked with NCIA. Um, they hold a Lobby Days uh, project where they bring 250 different uh, cannabis business leaders out to DC to work alongside lobbyists uh, and walk through Congress and essentially speak to different Congress members about these two bills. And we had overwhelming support, which was really exciting for us um, because it's really come a long way to have support on both sides of the, the table on these kinds of issues. But it, it just makes sense because it's going to create so much more safety and solidarity within the industry to have um, the opportunity to actually use banking and loan systems and really operate like a real business right. rather a than real this, industry. Like, yeah. Yeah. Rather than this like quasi legal, but still illegal, but we're going to take your tax dollars space right. that, um, with safe banking, we'll be able to successfully use, uh, federal banks for can licensed cannabis companies. And then wow. with the 280E bill, um, cannabis businesses will now officially be able to uh, make write-offs that they normally couldn't for things like equipment, supplies, uh, their cost of goods to, mm -hmm. to operate, which as of today, we don't have that ability. And with such incredibly high um, tax margins for us to be facing not being able to write off our basic operational uh, things the way a normal industry would um, makes it almost impossible for uh, these smaller run yeah. cannabis operations to really succeed. Definitely. And you have a lot of cool research and development going on behind the scenes. Is there anything uh, new on the horizon that you can share with me that uh, you are absolutely uh, excited about and uh, can give me a little bit of a, a sneak peek? Sure, sure. Yeah. So I kind of hinted at it earlier in our talk, um, but that we officially just launched the reserve line for Clear mm. in Nevada. And it's going to be such such a new experience for people that I think everyone's been waiting for for the past five years um, since we started. And uh, just to give you kind of a, a little inside peek mm -hmm. as to the, the official flavors that we're going to have available, um, we're going to be releasing a black cherry soda, Oh a starberry, oh chem my. dog, oh chem dog, I know, and a blue diesel. Yes. So it's kind of all over the board. And I think that uh, it'll give somebody, there's going to be something in there for some each person, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Sign not me up for the black cherry soda. I yeah. am, that's all me. Yeah. It's, it's really exciting because we've never had the opportunity to kind of dive that deep into strain specific varieties before and doing it with the actual plant itself just made the most sense. So 
Um, this is going to be our first state that we're, we're testing this with, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if you'd see this all across the U.S. pretty soon. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when we're out filming Canacrib, sometimes we're on the road for two weeks at a time, all right? We're traveling around a state. Uh, we'll film, you know, multiple grow operations at once. So we have a lot of uh, kind of downtime and in between, you know, driving between cities. And we're always, you know, kind of dreaming about our futuristic cannabis products that we want to consume. You know, one thing that we always come back to is kind of the build your own vape pen where you can have a vape pen that's tailored to you, kind of like a, a 23andMe and then someone says 420andMe. So do you think that's possible in the future where, you know, myself as a consumer could go into a dispensary or, or some some type of uh, location where I can build a vape pen based upon uh, genetics that, you know, work with my endocannabinoid system and the flavors that I want to consume? It's kind of futuristic, but uh, I wanted to throw it by you. Is that in our you know next ten year horizon? Oh, certainly, certainly, really? Nick. Okay. Yeah, it's it's exciting actually. Um, I I recommend to you checking into some of the research groups in Israel right yes. now that are working in terpene science. Um, there are actually already many groups that are collecting these kinds of data points off of uh, consumers at dispensaries and kind of gauging based off of anecdotal information mm -hmm. of what they're looking to get out of their cannabis experience versus uh, the strains that they actually uh, frequently go back to and, and repurchase. Um, so I think we're already kind of starting to collect data around that to gain our own knowledge and understanding of what strains are, are sought out by consumers. But I think that um, it's definitely possible for more customized options for people and even today, if you wanted to go into a dispensary and start really examining the products that you like, I think you could even start uh, purchasing products really to tailor it to your taste. Like, do you prefer a higher THC percentage? Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe twenty is a little percent is a little too high. Maybe yeah. your sweet spot is around seventeen. You just have to kind of maybe a little bit more CBD. I mean, we have so many cannabinoids that we have not researched and fully harnessed. Are there any cannabinoids that uh, you're looking forward to that you know are there, you just haven't got to researching? Well, I mean, the list goes on and on, but one thing I'm actually pretty excited about right now is um, the cannabinoid CBN. Um, oh, that's a new one. Yeah, a lot of people have, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it is pretty new to a lot of people. It's starting to kind of surface up as this new novel compound. Um, many, many people have ideas that it could potentially promote restful sleep. Um, I don't know oh. if that's necessarily um, backed by any research at this point yet, but one thing that I have been able to find information on is that it has a lot of promise as a um, sunscreen or as an agent to block against UVB rays. I definitely um, need that. I, I can't, yeah. I don't know if you can tell, I'm a little sunburned <laughs> from golf over the weekend. Oh yeah, it's pretty cool. Cause I mean, for people who have sensitivities to zinc and other compounds used for, for sunblock, um, this could be a really cool natural alternative. Um, wow that we don't use yet, so. Yeah, and, and one product that uh, I know the Canacribs crew absolutely loves is uh, Delta 8 THC. 
Uh, that's one thing. Is that in all the states that you guys operate in? Do you see that on the, the storefront or is it specific to Arizona? Because I haven't found it in California, at least uh, when we're out there filming. I, I absolutely love it. Um, so it comes in a, a vape pen um, here in the Arizona market. Um, and I don't know too much about uh, that actual cannabinoid, but let's just say it, it interacts with my system differently. And um, it's a little bit of a, a lower um, psychoactive effect um, and something that I really enjoy. Um, I, I don't know if it comes uh, up in your research at all, but maybe that's a new product line on the horizon. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely been working with it in the lab just kind of for extraction and understanding processing technology in the past. Mm -hmm. um, it just hasn't quite come up on the radar as a official clear product yet. But yeah. um, it's definitely something I agree that it has a way different uh, implication for the consumer as to kind of a less paranoia, anxiety yes. inducing compound. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, it made me so excited the first time I tried that product. It almost brought me back to the first time I tried cannabis and how I felt this new experience I had never had before. Um, and it's like, there are so many unresearched cannabinoids that haven't hit the market that how exciting is that? I mean, you are pioneering. You are on the cutting edge of what the world can consume. Um, it, it's just what a time to be alive. What a time. Seriously, it really is. I I wake up every day and have to kind of remind myself of how far we really have come because yeah there's so much more to do and there's so much more to understand and we're we're still just kind of breaking through that surface yeah. level of we've ended some of these harsher stigmas and we're we're trying to refine our processes and uh help people who have been disadvantaged mm -hmm. by the war on drugs and there's just this i don't know cannabis is like a catalyst for change right it like it just these compounds they have such a potential to mind alter to to shift paradigms and i think that we've just seen the beginning of what cannabis is capable of well what a way to end the episode on that i am so happy that you're able to join us for our very first can of cribs podcast uh, it's been an absolute informative and enjoyable conversation so thank you so much courtney and I'm really looking forward to filming the clear, you know, process at one of your partners, potentially even Flower One in the next six months. Yes, thank you so much for having me today. And I would so look forward to working with you guys again in the future when you're out there. Definitely. So what's the best way for our fans listening and watching this interview uh, to reach out to you and to follow, uh, you know, the the clear brands. So if you want to get in touch with me and kind of see on the back end what I'm doing as far as regulation and research goes and education, you can follow me on Instagram at the clear botanist. Okay. Um, and then if you want to find out any more information about the clear, you can check out our website at uh, clearconcentrate.com. Great. And we'll link all those in the show notes for uh, everyone listening. Well, thank you so much, Courtney. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Canada Cribs podcast. I hope you learned something new. And if you like this episode, you're probably going to like our other series by Growers Network like Canna Cribs and Deep Roots. You can check it out on our YouTube channel. Also, if you want to join 10,000 other growers around the world to help elevate your craft, check out growersnetwork.org. It's an online growing forum for growers just like you. Huge shout out to Across International for making this episode possible and for helping companies like The Clear scale their operations. Check them out at acrossinternational.com. See you on the next episode.